It is good to be with you. Good to have you guys here this morning. Uh, Like I said, if you are new or visiting, I want to say welcome. If there's anything that we can do to help you get connected to the community here at River City, we would love to be able to do that. Come find me or Andy or anyone else you've seen up front. Uh, We we genuinely would love to get to know you and help you get connected to the community here at River City. So looking forward to opening God's word with you guys together. We, uh, We have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew this whole year. We started uh, all the way in December. Uh, Matthew begins with the, the Christmas story and the story of Jesus' birth. And, and so we began there right around Christmas time. So we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew for the better part of 10 months or so. Uh, and uh, just a heads up, not all of our series at River City are 10 months long. Uh, Matthew's just a long book. And so it's taken us a while to get through that. And for us here, the thing that really drives uh, how we spend our time on Sunday mornings is that we just really have a high value for God's Word. And we want God's Word to be the thing that shapes our time. And so some books are just longer than others. And so it takes a little bit longer to get through them. And so we are glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, and so if you are new and you're coming in and you're like, wow, I uh, just hit the last week of a 40-something week series. What? I don't even know why I'm here. Well, it's okay. I'll catch you up. We'll, we'll touch base about it. Um, but most of all, as we study this morning, my heart is that, that you guys would see the way that Jesus' words, they help shape uh, our lives as his followers, and th- they're at the very heart of, uh, of what it looks like for us to be River City Church. They're at the, the heart of the, our identity and our purpose as a church here in Dubuque. And so um, from the beginning to the end, Matthew's gospel is, is telling one story. It's really one big theme. There's one big E on the I chart. There's not a whole lot of smaller letters on it. And the big theme at the center of the, uh, the, center of the gospel of Matthew is the king and the kingdom. And so in all the stories that Matthew shares with us about Jesus, his person and his work and his life and the things that he says, they're all intended to reveal something to us about who he is and about what his kingdom is like. We saw in chapter 1 through 3, we saw the king's credentials as we looked at his genealogy. We saw his humanity and his divinity. We saw that there is no one like Jesus in all of history that he stands alone, and he isn't just the king of the Jews, he is the king of all nations. We saw the Magi come to worship him from, from far abroad. You see, there has never been and there will never be anyone like Jesus. In chapters 4 through 7, we saw the king authoritatively teaching about his kingdom. Famously, that section is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that section, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, he's course correcting what people think his kingdom is supposed to be like. And, and he talks about what it looks like to live as citizens of his kingdom. And at the heart of those chapters, what Jesus is doing is he is contrasting his kingdom, which is rooted in the truths of the gospel with the kingdoms of religion and the kingdoms of the world. And he says, my kingdom is altogether different than and all of these other kingdoms. You see, the kingdom of religion is about all that you do to get to God, but the kingdom of the gospel is about all that God has done to get to you. It's about all that God is in doing that, his, his transforming work in your heart, in your life, in your character, changing not just your external, but changing your internal, changing your motivations and your desires. Then chapter 8 and 9, we saw the king powerfully demonstrating what happens when his kingly rule and authority is brought to bear in people's lives. You see, we saw in those chapters that wherever his kingly rule is manifest, there is life, there is blessing, there is there is freedom. You see, people are healed and outcasts are included, waves are calm, sin is forgiven. And then in chapter 10, we saw the king sending out the disciples as his, his ambassadors, his, his kingdom representatives to sent to declare and to demonstrate the truth about who he was and all that he had come to do. 
You see, what happens is the disciples are confused. They, they don't get why people are not just jumping on that train. They, they don't understand why people are responding to the king the way that they think that he should. And so we saw in chapter 13, Jesus teaches again about the reality and the nature of his kingdom, but this time in the form of parables. And in chapter 13, what we saw is that the king is highlighting how, how the way people respond to him has everything to do with the condition of their hearts, whether they are hard or soft towards him. And we saw that the king says is that the reality of where people's hearts are at towards him is a gift from him. And that if you have a soft heart to be able to respond to him, if your heart is good soil, then that's a gift from him. And in chapter 18 and 19, the king highlights how uh, the, the following chapters, they, they show this increasing opposition to that kind of kingdom. They show this increasing opposition where those who are, who, those who are in are incredibly excited about it, but those who, who are fighting it are increasingly opposed to what's going on. In showing, and what Jesus is doing in these chapters is he's continuing to highlight and reveal more and more of who he is. We saw as he fed the 5,000 and the, and the 10,000 that he's the great provider. We saw as he rescued the disciples on the waves that he is the sovereign rescuer. We saw in his revelation of himself to, to the three disciples on, on the Mount of Transfiguration that he is both the humble, suffering servant and the majestic king of glory. You see, the truth throughout the book of Matthew is that Jesus is not the king that everyone expected. He doesn't meet almost anyone's expectations, and if they're honest, he's not the king that most people wanted, but he was the king that people needed. You see, his kingdom was an upside-down kind of kingdom, and in chapters 18 through 19, Jesus highlights that that is the reality of his kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom, and just as he is the king that didn't meet expectations but met the needs of reality, his kingdom is the same. It's an upside-down kingdom where honor comes through humble service and the prioritization of the good of others. And in chapters 21 through 23, we saw that that is the path that the king was taking. It's not just the path of the kingdom, it's the path of the king. And we saw increasingly all of it was leading towards the cross, climaxing in what we celebrated on Easter and Good Friday and Jesus' death and his resurrection as the sacrificial servant king who had come to, to free his people and to set them free and to defeat the enemies of Satan and sin and death. And in chapters 24 and 25, where we've been the last few weeks, we zoomed in and took a look at Jesus' words that foreshadowed that his death wasn't going to be the end of the story. You see, he wasn't just the humble, suffering servant king. No, instead, he said he was also the majestic king of glory who is coming again to rule and to reign in power. You see, his first coming had been the inauguration of his kingdom. But one day he would return to consummate that kingdom, to rule and to reign. You see, from beginning to end, Matthew's gospel has been about telling us about the king and his kingdom. It's been a, a proclamation of who Jesus is, the great king of all, and the nature of his kingdom, an upside-down kingdom that, that sets people free from the real enemies of Satan and sin and death. And You see, in this morning, as we close our study of this great book, we look at one last section. You see, we look at Jesus as the kings. We look at his final words. As we study this morning, what you're going to see is you're going to see the king's commission. You see, he promised that his death wasn't the end of the story. And so for us as his people, he, he commissions us as his kingdom ambassadors to see what it might look like for us to be his people. 
You see, his coming was the beginning of the kingdom, and as we wait for the king to return and to rule and to reign forever, we see that the king gives us a mission to be on. It's a mission that is the mission of everyone who follows Jesus. It's, it's the mission that's at the heart of this church, and it's a mission that cannot be done without the power of the king. And so with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll dive into our study of God's word this morning. King Jesus, we are so grateful for you. God, we are grateful for your word, and we're grateful for our time and our study of your word this past year in Matthew. God, and as we study this morning, God, we continue to say we really, we really need you. We need you to be the one that's shaping our time together. We need, I need you to be the one that fills me with your spirit so that our time is, has, that what I have to say is full of power and authority, not because of me, but because of you. God, we need you to be shaping our hearts so we can respond to you. God, help us to see, God, the joy and the magnitude of your final words. God, that they might be life-giving, mission-giving words to us this morning that might help us to join you in the purposes for which you have called us to. And so, God, we come this morning and we say, we really need you. God, we are grateful that you promised to meet us in your word. God, help us to live in light of it as we study it today, we pray. Amen. This morning, we are in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Again, this is after Jesus' death and his resurrection. Jesus has told the disciples to meet him in Galilee. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, somebody's last words, they can tell you a lot about that person. They can tell you about what they believe about themselves or or, or what they believe about what really matters most in this life. Entrepreneur P.T. Barnum, his last words were, were simply this, how are the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Legendary football coach and victorious champion of many more things than the Vikings, Vince Lombardi, died of cancer in 1970. His final words as he died, he turned to his wife and he said, happy anniversary, I love you. Convicted murderer Thomas J. Grasso, he used his last words to complain about his final meal. He said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs, I got spaghetti." The public must know about this. Leonardo da Vinci, famous, famous creator, inventor, artist, he said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. Nathan Hale, the 21-year-old school teacher turned revolutionary war spy, he famously said, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. You see, somebody's last words, they can tell you a lot about them about the things that they think matter most, about who they believe that they are. You see, Jesus' words here, his famous last words, they tell us so much about who he is and all that he has done. Like others, they reveal a lot about him. But unlike others, Jesus' words also tell us a lot about who we are as well. They tell us about our identity and our purpose You see, and as we study this morning, what I want you to see is that the heart of Jesus' final words is a commission. It's a command with a mission. It's a commission for us. It's a commission that is founded on a proclamation. It is a commission that has a process, and it is a commission that comes with a promise. 
You see, the king's commission is this, verse 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, to make disciples, you have to know what one is, though, right? If the king's commission is to go and make disciples, you have to know what a disciple is. And in its most general definition, a disciple is simply a follower. It's a, it's a student of someone, someone who has committed themselves to the, to the teaching of someone or something. Applied to Jesus, one commentator writes this, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him, someone who become, who because of God's awakening grace conforms his words, his or her words and ways to the words and the ways of Jesus. You see, what does it look like for us to conform our words and our ways to the king? All the way back in, in Matthew uh, chapter 4, all the way back early in the year, I think it was probably January, we studied this passion where Jesus calls the first disciples and his invitation to them was incredibly simple yet incredibly profound. He said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus' words, it was incredibly, his call to be a disciple was incredibly simple but incredibly profound. You see, a disciple of Jesus is more than somebody who simply admires Jesus. Someone who, someone who thinks his words are wise. It's more than somebody who just looks up to him as an inspiration or an aspiration even. You see, instead a disciple, as Jesus calls the followers to this, his disciple is someone who obeys him. Someone who follows him, who is obedient to his command. Someone who is being changed by him. Jesus says, I will make you into something new. And a disciple is one who joins Jesus on the mission of helping others to do the same. You see, to be a follower of Jesus is to be characterized by obeying him, by being changed by him, and by joining him on the mission of helping others to do the same. You see, this is the commission that King Jesus gives everyone who would be his followers. It's a commission that echoes the, the words that he spoke, that God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with those who bear my image and reflect my glory. You see, the call is the same here. King Jesus sends out his kingdom ambassadors. He says, go, make disciples of all nations filling the earth with my redeemed image-bearing representatives, those who reflect my glory. You see, the commission of the king, his final words are a call. They, they give us purpose. They give us a commission. They, they send us out. You see, in the, this, the commission to make disciples has everything to do with who the, is giving the command. You see, it has everything to do with who Jesus is. Verse 19 begins with the word, Therefore. The foundation of Jesus' command is based on the proclamation he makes about himself in the previous verse. Verse 18 says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I am God. I'm the king. I am the ruling, reigning, resurrected, living king of all. You see, and I have every bit of authority. You see, I am the ruler of heaven. I am the ruler of earth. All authority is mine. You see, and it's in light of that proclamation that Jesus' command to go make disciples of all nations is found. One commentator writes it this way. He says, Jesus is alive and he is sovereign. He is the, and here is the, the Christian mission has its proper starting point in a meeting with the risen Jesus, now enthroned as king of all. You see, it's on the basis of that authority that Jesus now sends his disciples out to spread his good kingly rule over all nations by making more disciples. You see, the king's commission, it begins with a proclamation that there is a king and he rules and reigns over all. 
But Jesus' words doesn't, don't stop there. See, his commission to go and make disciples, it, he gives us a process by which we are to carry out his commands. And that process has three parts. We're, we're to go, we're to baptize, and we're to teach. And see, the first part of the process about making disciples is to go. Verse 19 begins, therefore, go. You see, it's in light of Jesus' authority, his com- he commissions us to go and to make disciples. That word go is really important for us to understand. You see, I don't want to misconstrue what it means here. See, for, for some of you, for some of us, God will call you to pick up all of your things, your physical place, and to go somewhere. God has called my wife Hannah and I multiple times to physically move ourselves for the sake of his purpose and his mission. Many of you even sense that call from God as you moved here to Dubuque to help start this church as we sought to begin to reach this city with the, for the, with the truth of the gospel. You see, but the call to go and to make disciples is not always or even usually about leaving your physical home. It is not always or even usually about leaving your physical home. You see, at its roots, the command to go is about understanding that the identity of a disciple of Jesus is fundamentally about being sent. You see, making disciples is not a task that gets done on a trip. Making disciples is a task that is done in the everyday stuff of life. You see, every disciple of Jesus is called to be a missionary in their everyday lives. That word translated go, it's it's actually an active imperative. It's kind of like a go, keep on going, or as you are going. You see, it means the call to go is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing call that we live out every day in our lives. You see, the mission of making disciples is a foundational part of the identity of everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. And so it must be a foundational part of our everyday lives. You see, it's in the everyday stuff of life that we get the chance to demonstrate the transforming power of the gospel in order that we might have opportunities to declare who Jesus is and all that he has done. In college, I remember getting a chance to share my faith with my friend Cody. And there was a, just, the story is much longer than this, but but I remember one night sitting with him in our room playing Halo together and during one, just having a chance to talk with him about who Jesus was and all that he had done in my life, about how he had transformed my identity and my purpose, how he was like a sure foundation and a hope for my life. And I remember sharing those words with my friend who I thought would be wildly opposed to hearing it. And instead, my friend's words, instead of telling me to stop or instead of telling me that he didn't have any interest, he said, thank you for sharing those things with me. He said, I felt like I could trust you because you're the first person that I've seen that your life and your faith, they seem to match. You see, my life was full of flaws. It was full of mistakes. It was not some beautiful picture of absolute certainty. It wasn't some pinnacle of sanctification. But at the heart of my life was a longing that, what, that who Jesus was and all that he had done for me would transform how I lived. And my friend, he saw that. And that gave me a credibility with him and a chance to declare, to articulate why, the why behind it, to explain what was going on in the midst of it. You see, the demonstration of the gospel had led to opportunities for me to declare the gospel to my friend. You see, as we seek to live our lives here in Dubuque, the same is true. As Hannah and I, we moved into our neighborhood here, just as many of you have moved into your neighborhoods, and our heart is that we might be in the lives of our neighbors 
that we might get to know them, that we might build relationships with them, that we might get chances to live in such a relationship with them, that it would give us chances to reveal and to display what it looks like when the gospel changes your heart and your life so that we might get chances to articulate who the gospel is about, the king of the kingdom and all that he has done. You see, that's why one of our core values at River City Church is that we want to be people who live as missionaries instead of magnets. You see, we believe that our primary philosophy of evangelism and disciple-making, it should be centered on our people thinking and acting like missionaries in the everyday stuff of life. That's because every Christian is called and sent to be a missionary to share the gospel in word and deed in all the areas of influence that God has given you, whether that's your family or your friends or your coworkers or your neighbors or wherever it might be, the gym you work at, the, the places you hang out. You see, my job here is not to create an environment where the church's ministry is done here on a Sunday morning. You see, my job is to equip all of you to be God's sent people into the world every day. You see, we have one hour a week together. And my job here is not to do all of the ministry that can be done, but it's to equip you for the 167 other hours this week that you might live as God's commission sent people into the world. You see, the gathering of God's people for worship, it is incredibly important. God's word calls us to it. I give huge parts of my week every week to preparing for it. But this is not the pinnacle of our gathering. This is not the pinnacle of what this church exists to be or to look like. Instead, our gathering here is meant to encourage us. It's meant to challenge us. It's meant to exhort us. It's meant to prepare us to live as God sent people in the world every day. You see, it's my sincere prayer that as God will, that God will raise up some of you. He will raise up some of you to be his sent people all over the world. Whether that is, might be in all other countries or all other places, that you might go leave your physical homes to obey Jesus' call to make disciples of all nations. But I pray just as much that many of you might be called eagerly to someday might leave your small group so that you might plant a new one so that there will be more room and more space for people who need the good message of God's kingly rule and reign, who need space in their lives for that to happen. You see, for all of us, every day the call is to go, not to wait and hope that someone would just see us and ask about Jesus, but rather to live our lives in such a way and in such proximity to people and to others that we would normally and regularly have the opportunity to tell others about the king who has saved us, the, the king who has sent us into the world. You see, so often I think the problem is, is in the, the way that we don't have chances to talk about Jesus is because we don't live close enough to people to actually be in their lives. You see, the invitation of Jesus' followers is to go, to be sent into the lives and relationships of people that don't know him yet. So who are the people that God has sent you to? Who are the friends and neighbors and coworkers that he's inviting you to, to be sent into their lives, into their relationships, into the, those communities for the sake of his mission, the sake of his purposes? So the call for us is first to go. But the next part of the process that Jesus gives in his commission is that he tells us to baptize. You see, verse 19, therefore, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is all about identity. 
Baptism is all about my identity. Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. You see, in biblical times, your, your name was a big deal. It carried a huge amount of meaning and history and, and family and allegiances and significance. And so to be baptized into a new name is fundamentally about an identity change. It's about getting a new name with a new family and a new father and a new mission and new purposes. You see, baptism, it doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't change your status or your standing with God. Instead, the act of baptism is a public announcement of this new identity that you have found in him. You see, it's like a wedding. I have officiated a number of weddings. You see, at the end of every wedding, I say, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, right? Whatever their name is. And my presentation of that couple, it doesn't make them married. You see, it's their I do's, it's their, the, the, their commitment to one another that makes them married. Their, their commitment in front of others to say that and to, and to choose that. And what I'm doing is I'm just announcing it. You see, I'm just announcing to everyone their new name and their new identity and their new purpose as a couple. You see, like getting married, being a disciple of Jesus is something you want to announce. It's something you want others to know about. It's something that you want to sell others to celebrate with you. It's something that you're going to need the help of others to do, just like you're going to need the help of others to live as a married couple for God's glory. You see, disciples are made in community and established in community. And that's why rivers, at River City, small groups aren't just kind of a side thing. They're at the center of how we do ministry and relationships. Because the growing in the gospel and the making disciples, establishing people in their identity as Jesus' kingdom people, his followers, it takes community. It cannot be done alone. So Jesus says to make disciples and to baptize them, to, to establish them in their new identity, to make sure they know who they are, to make sure that they know that they are his people, that they are his children, his family, sent on his purposes. And that brings us to the last part of the process that Jesus gives us for carrying out his command. His command is to go, to make disciples, and lastly, to teach them to obey. Verse 20 reads this way, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, Jesus' words, he doesn't say, go make converts. He says, go and make disciples. You see, Matt Chandler, he notes this way. He says, the goal of our going is not when all is said and done, then just to have people say, yes, I believe in Jesus but rather to have people who with their lives follow him. You see, the command to make disciples is never less than the proclamation of the gospel to those who do not know it yet. But the commission to make disciples is always more than that. It is never less than evangelism. It is never less than the proclamation of the gospel to those who do not know it yet, but it is always more than that. You see, the gospel is the thing that saves us, and the gospel is the thing that changes us every day. You see, the way that we grow up in Christ is not by knowing more about the Bible. It's not by just knowing more facts or knowing more experience. The way that we grow up as Jesus' kingdom people is that we believe the truths of his gospel as they impact every corner of our lives. That's what we talk about when we talk about being a church, that our mission is to be that we be growing in the gospel. You see, the one thing that changes us, it's not spiritual disciplines it's it's not an it's not this this just a diligence to some things the thing that changes us is the truths of the gospel as we believe them and live in light of them and so we proclaim the gospel to everyone so that in every way we would all grow up to look like jesus you see a disciple of jesus is not someone who says they follow jesus someone a disciple of jesus 
is one whose life reflects an obedience to him, a surrender to him as king, and whose life increasingly, ongoingly, looks more and more like his. I just need you to hear this this morning. You see, that is, there's not going to be some day when you arrive at perfect obedience. There's not going to be some day when you kind of like reach this pinnacle of like, I finally, I've made it. I have obeyed. I am characterized by perfect obedience. You see, discipleship is a lifelong process of submitting all of our life to the lordship of Jesus. The martyr uh, missionary Jim Elliott, I think, so profoundly wrote this. He said, one does not surrender a life in an instant. He says, that which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. You see, the invitation for us as followers of Jesus is every day to choose to submit every area of our life under his good kingly authority, that we might submit our hearts and our lives, put them under his good kingly rule and reign, and that we might help others to do the same. You see, and we do that by growing in the gospel, by increasingly repenting from sin and believing and living in light of the transforming power and the person and the work of Jesus You see, and the thing that that does is it causes our motives to change. You see, as we grow in the gospel, we grow in our understanding of our great need for Jesus, but also the incredible ways in which he has met our need. And so as we recognize our need for him incredibly growing, we see increasingly how he has met our need. And so what happens is what wells up in our hearts is a love for him and a longing to give ourselves back to him. Instead, it doesn't produce duty or obligation. Instead, it produces a joyful, a longing to give ourselves back to the king who has given himself for us. You see, just as our obedience to Jesus' commands didn't earn us God's acceptance in the first place, so to our obedience to commands, it doesn't maintain our position with him. You see, we don't obey Jesus in order to get something from him. We don't obey Jesus in order that one day he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. We obey him because he was the faithful servant. And that, on that day, the king will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, not because of your obedience, but because of your faith in the one who was perfectly obedient for you. You see, when that clicks in your heart, increasingly ongoingly, what happens is you cannot help but give yourself back to the king. I'd enjoy in love in appreciation as a longing, as a natural response to him and all that he has done. You see, and this incredible truth is not only that it gives us a desire to obey, but it gives us the power we actually need to obey Jesus' commands, including his final command to go and to make more disciples because we go with him. You see, the mission of making disciples is is an incredible honor. It is an incredible privilege, but it is hard and it's messy And it's difficult because sometimes people are hard to love and serve and we just don't want to do it. Sometimes people are difficult and we just don't want to pour our lives out for their good. You see, the invitation is that we might look at the gospel to remember, to look in the mirror and to say, Jesus did that for you. You see, you and I, none of us are easy to love. None of us are easy to give up our lives for. But Jesus did those things for us. 
And so the mission of making disciples is not just about others, but it's about God wanting you to grow as you see all that he has done for you. You see, that's why our firm belief at River City here is that the way that we grow up as followers of Jesus is, is by joining him on mission. You see, one of the core values of the church here is maturity through mission. You see, we believe that actively engaging in the mission of making disciples is one of the single best ways by which Jesus' followers grow up. If growing up into his likeness is about reflecting his image and character, what we must realize is that King Jesus was a missionary sent by the Father to us. And so if we are to reflect his image and his character, we are to live as his sent people all around the world. You see, The king's commission is that we might go and make disciples. It's rooted on the proclamation that he is the king with all authority. It has a process. And lastly, it is rooted in a promise. You see, the commission of Jesus to make disciples, when we join him on that mission, it reveals our need for him. And that makes his final words so important. Verse 20, he says this. He gives us a promise. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus knew that the mission that he was sending his followers on was not an easy one. In fact, it was an impossible one. Impossible without him. You see, but the truth is, as Jesus' words remind us this morning, he doesn't send us out on our own. No, instead, the king promises to go with his ambassadors. The king promises to go ahead of his people indeed. You see, and if we're going to obey Jesus' command, we're going to need to cling tightly to his promise that he will be with us to the end. Because anyone who has sought to follow Jesus and to embrace his command has realized that it is hard. That there are days you do not want to do it. There are days in which you feel defeated. There are days in which you want to shrink back, in which you want to hide. And the king says, I know that that will come. Remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The king not just sends his people. He doesn't just commission them. The king goes with them. You see, that truth, that's the one way that we are able to join Jesus on mission with him. You see, the commission the the king gives cannot be done on our own. It can only be done in the king's power. See, and so even though the mission is hard and messy and there are days we want to quit, the mission of making disciples is life-giving and joyful. You see, the mission to make disciples is all about proclaiming the truths of the gospel. You see, and when you do that, you remember it. And there is nothing more life-giving than reminding ourselves about who Jesus is and all that he has done for us. A while back, I was working on memorizing Psalm 126 with my kids. Verse 3 reads this. It says, the Lord has done great things for us, so we are glad. The Lord has done great things for us, so we are glad. You see, this morning what we get to remember is that the Lord has done the greatest thing of all for us. You see, the the proclamation of the gospel is that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, that he died the death that you and I deserved to die, that he did all of that in our place, absorbing God's just wrath towards our mutinous rebellion, trading places with us so that while he might take our punishment, we might get his reward. And so the reason why we are very glad is because the king has given himself for his people. We see, and in our gladness, we give our lives back to that king. We give our lives to the one 
who has given himself for us. We remember that Jesus pursued us, giving everything to redeem us, and so we join him in pursuing others, longing that others might come to know him and and love him and live for him, even when it costs, even when it is hard. And all the while, we cling to the promise that it's his power and his strength that is the thing that empowers us to be his people in the world. You see, those are the truths that we remember every week when we celebrate communion. You see, communion here at River City is not, a, it is not an empty ritual or just some religious practice. You see, what we're doing every week in communion is, is we are remembering the king who has come for us. And we're remembering the king who has commissioned us to be his sent people into the world. You see, every week what we're doing is remembering that his body and his blood were broken and shed for us so that we might be cleansed and made new. And we say, Jesus, you have done great things for us. And so we are glad. We, we gladly come to celebrate and to remember you. We, we come remembering our need for you in communion. We come remembering how greatly you have met our need. We come as your disciples, as your adopted children, and as your sent people, asking that you would empower us to be your people sent into the world You see, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. It doesn't change what God thinks of you. It doesn't change how he perceives you. You see, instead, it's a chance for you to remember. To remember who he is and all that he has done. To remember the great king of all who has come to give himself for his people so that he might call them and commission them with the most life-giving purpose of all. You see, it's a chance for us to remember all of that. And so this morning, as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song, if you've put your trust in Jesus, if he is your king, then go back during our time of singing. Take communion. There's a table on the left and on the right. And you just go back and you dip the bread in the juice. Do it as a celebration. Do it as a remembering of all that the king has done for you. But this morning... If you're here this morning and Jesus is not yet your king, then I just need you to hear this. Communion is not yet right for you. This church is right for you. These people are right for you. This place is. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. But communion is about remembering the king and all that he has done. It's about celebrating that in remembrance. And so instead this morning, if Jesus is not your king, I want you to know you are welcome here, but I would encourage you to talk with God. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to to show you who he is in his word. Ask him to help you to see what it means to follow him and what it means to surrender to him as king. You see, as we sing and as we worship this morning, talk with God, all of us. Tell him how thankful you are for all that he has done. Tell him how glad you are in him or ask him to show you all that he has done so that you might become glad in him. Ask him to help you remember to live in light of his final words, not out of duty or out of guilt or out of obligation, but out of joy in response to all the king has done for you. Ask him to remind you of the incredible honor and privileges to be his kingdom ambassadors. Let that fuel your days in your weeks and your years, given to him, the great king of all, who has laid down his life for his people so that we might live as his kingdom ambassadors in the world. To that end, let us pray. King Jesus, we come before you this morning. We are so grateful for you. 
We're grateful for your love for us. We are grateful for your power over us. We are grateful that you indeed are the great king of all who has all authority and who used your authority to make wretched sinners like me and like us right with you. And so, God, we come as your people grateful for all that you have done. And we ask, King Jesus, that you might empower us not just to know we are your sent people, but to live as your sent kingdom people so that our, so that our city, so that our neighbors, so that the nations as well might worship and love and serve you as the great king of all. Jesus, we cannot do that on our own. We have no power or authority apart from you. All but with you, Jesus, we have all that we need. God, help us to live in light of our identity as your kingdom people, your sent ambassadors, so that the whole world might know that you are king. We pray these things in your good name. Amen.